0: Hi, and welcome to the Post-Acute Point of View, our discussion hub for healthcare technology in the out-of-hospital space. Here we talk about the latest news and views on trends and innovation that can impact the way post-acute care providers work, and we take a look at how technology can make a difference in today's changing healthcare landscape in both home-based and facility-based care organizations and the lives of the people they serve. Today, we hear from Naveen Gupta, Senior Vice President of Home and Hospice Division for Matrix Care, and his special guest. Let's dive in.
1: My name is Naveen Gupta. I am the Senior Vice President and Division Head for the Home and Hospice Division here at Matrix Care. Welcome again to another episode of the Post Acute Point of View. Today, I am joined by our very own Steve Pacheco. He is the CEO of Matrix Care. Steve brings more than twenty-five years' experience in healthcare and doing healthcare technology. Prior to Matrix Care, Steve was the CEO of Sigma Care, which he founded in two thousand and six, and he led that business to growth and expansion, including its acquisition by Matrix Care in twenty seventeen. And before Sigma Care, he served in various executive roles at Amcor and Pfizer. And uh, we will also want to welcome Bill Dombey. Bill is not new to this podcast. Bill also needs no introduction. Bill is the president of National Association for Home Care and Hospice. He also serves as the executive director for the Home Care and Hospice Financial Managers Association. And as part of his numerous responsibilities, Bill really specializes in legal, legislative, and regulatory advocacy on behalf of patients and the segments at large, the home health and hospice providers with Nearly 40 years experience, and he has been involved in all of the key legislative and regulatory efforts through the years as well. So, Bill, we are really excited to have you. Welcome.
2: Oh, thank you, Naveen. It's an honor to have the opportunity to uh, be on a podcast with Steve.
1: Yeah, this is, this is special, and it's great that we can have Steve on the podcast as well. Bill, let's begin broadly we both were at the Home Care 100 conference, feels like several weeks ago, and certainly it was great to be in, you know, back in person. Numerous trends were being discussed. There is certainly an emphasis in risk-based contracting. A lot of really cool technologies were, remote technologies were discussed. There were conversations around palliative care models and some conversations around hospital at home and SNF at home. But this theme around a shift to, you know, really community and home-based services, and that accelerating. I want to get your point of view on that. We also matrix care. We play across the complete continuum, including skilled nursing facilities. And I was looking at some notes from an ACA conference recently, where they were talking about the occupancy and what's happening with the SNF occupancy. It bottomed out in January, and now it's beginning to climb back up again. And there are sort of some different views around how this is going to play out. So I'd love to pick your brain and understand how big is this shift towards community-based care from your perspective, and how do you see this landscape changing?
2: Well, you know, I, I see the shift coming in, in multiple forms, coming from a, a DC-based advocacy organization. I've seen the shift coming from a policy perspective, you know, both affecting Congress as well as regulators. But I see it in the marketplace and in the clinical focus uh, and approach taken as well. Did this get triggered by the pandemic or did something else happen because of the pandemic that affects community-based care? And I think it's a, a combination of growth in the awareness of what's capable of being provided safely, effectively, and economically at home, as well as the actual delivery of services and the relationships between providers of care. So from the perspective side of it, the awareness side of it, we have just seen a remarkable acceleration in the understanding of what the breadth and depth of healthcare at home is. And that comes from the public as well as from the healthcare sector, but it also comes from policymakers and regulators as well. The odd part is that home care has been one of these hidden values out there in healthcare but we saw the pandemic kind of open eyes and ears to understand what that breadth and depth can be. But from a practical perspective of delivery of care, the pandemic looked for places that they considered both accessible and safe to deliver in the middle of a very infectious disease. And the next thing you know, we find hospital level of care at home. We find a nursing home level of care, skilled nursing facility and otherwise. Being provided at home, physicians expanding their practice to do virtual care and, in some cases, in person care in the home, and even diagnostics. So, you're looking at the whole range of healthcare services shifting practically to be delivered at home. Is this a short term or a long term kind of change that might be occurring and in Washington? You know, I may be haunted by a Washington kind of mindset, but put things into categories of fads and trends. This one fits into the trend category. There are serious investments happening in healthcare providers to become community care providers. Also significant intellectual investment in crafting policies and changing laws to facilitate the delivery of healthcare at home. So did the pandemic cause this? I think the pandemic triggered an acceleration of what was naturally occurring in the first place. But let me finish by saying that doesn't mean all these other locations of care, hospitals, nursing facilities, physicians' (laughs) offices will be outmoded. No, I think that this just becomes another option available for the delivery of care. So I think it's an exciting opportunity, an exciting period for healthcare at home in just so many different dimensions.
1: Yeah, Bill, I, I love how you you're framing this becomes another option. So it's not necessarily competition or competing. There is this greater awareness. I like your point of view that you don't see this as a short-term fad. There are long-term trends that indicate this is where care is moving. Steve, Matrix Care has the largest footprint in post-acute care, both on home and facilities-based <coughs> organizations with the changing dynamics of what we have Bill just described for us, what are you hearing from the customers in terms of community-based care expansion plans or perspectives that those that have traditionally played in facilities, how are they thinking about this?
3: Yeah, thanks, Naveen. And again, thanks for the opportunity, Bill. It's always great to be on the sessions like this with you. Uh, I have so much respect for your perspective and experience. So, it's great to be on this with you. So, in the being Matrix Care, in addition to home health, home care, hospice, and palliative care, we have a large skilled nursing facility business, mm-hmm. uh, a large senior living, assisted living, and life plan community business. So, so we do interact and understand what's going on from a, a lot of different perspectives. And I guess I agree with Bill. I've been doing this, as you said, for a long time 25 plus years. In healthcare technology. Healthcare typically doesn't move that fast, but I believe this is an exception. I believe this is a trend, maybe more than a trend. It, it's left the station and it's on its way. I do think it's a result of trends already underway, particularly managed care and value-based care programs. And I would characterize it as being accelerated by two things, by the pandemic. There's no question that the pandemic has forced people to think differently about their businesses, about care, what the consumer wants, what the regulatory bodies want. And then the second item is this generational change in technology. Again, I've been doing this 25 years and the advancement in technology in the interop of things, interoperability, AI uh, and machine learning, engaging residents and patients and family, remote monitoring of patients has exploded. There's a lot of money flowing into this, private equity, venture capital money. You see a lot of innovation happening. So I think it's those two things. Um, And I do agree with Bill. I, I look at it as another option, mostly because of the demographic changes that are underway. There's going to be a 50-plus percent increase in the number of seniors over this decade. They're aging with higher acuity, and they want to age in place. There's financial pressures across the system, whether it's CMS or Medicaid or individuals. Uh, And then there's a caregiver shortage. So you get all that. And I think the need for provider-based care is only going to increase across all these these settings of care. Uh, But to to get back to your question specifically, we, again, do see a lot of our customers developing or implementing pilot or piloting programs in community-based care. That is underway. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are looking to extend into the home regardless of where they started. We see diversification of providers. So nursing home businesses that are opening up home health and hospice. You see, obviously, home health and hospice starting private duty or, or home care businesses. We see senior living, assisted living businesses diversifying as well, building kind of informal networks to deliver care into the community. I use the term to mean informal network. So we hear, we talk to assisted living providers that will want to deliver a better quality of care, keep people in that setting as long as possible. And in order to do so, they need relationships with home health and palliative care and home care and hospice providers. And they're trying to narrow the number Of agencies that they work with. You know, obviously, new models of care, Bill talked to the SNF at home, and then we see more and more providers going at risk for the care that's being delivered. I think one thing, and Bill said this before uh, in our conversations, the reimbursement pressures aren't going away. Mm -hmm. And one way to try to get better returns is to go at risk. It doesn't, it's not without its challenges for sure, but, uh, you know, we see a lot of providers. Going at risk. So, in general, providers, I think, are being strategic and smart about it, thinking strategically, not getting ahead of some of the reimbursement and regulatory changes, focusing on what they're good at. Some are specializing, but there's no question that this movement into community based care is underway and we see it across our customer base.
1: Yeah, Steve, really, really great perspective. You know, I, I know we constantly talk about. The pandemic and how that's accelerated certain trends, but also just hearing your view on the generational tech from a technology perspective as how you see this playing out. So providers are beginning to respond; they are diversifying, as you said, but also there is this narrowing of the referral network. You know, really providers wanting to take on additional risk for them to be able to play in this space. And you touched upon a little bit about the, re- the reimbursement models and not getting ahead. Bill, I, I know so for those organizations and providers that are typically institutional in nature, and as they see this expansion into home and community-based models, you know, I think Steve is talking about that. We are, we are beginning to see this happening. I loved your presentation at Home Care 100 where you talked about choose home proposal. If I were a brick and mortar, a traditional institutional provider, what steps should I be taking at this point in time as I see that care is beginning to shift? Are there any additional consideration or risks to be aware of? What would you say to those providers that have been traditionally institutional in nature? Well, I think
2: the best advice I could offer would be to recognize that healthcare at home is a different business. In almost every element of it, it's a different business with maybe the biggest Potential exception being patient population because we are shifting those patients home. But it's, it's different from a staffing perspective, from the nature of the financials, the scheduling of care, of the reimbursement models, and even how you get your business. If you're a bricks and mortar entity, yeah, you're going to try to get capture referrals from your own operation, but it probably is necessary that you get referrals beyond that. And then, even in terms of issues of oversight and risk, it's there. Staffing tends to be a combination of full time staff and part time staff on a visit basis. Financials need to look at the cost of time that involves going between one patient's home and another patient's home as just one illustration. Scheduling often is a big financial factor as well as a staff availability factor. You really don't want to set up a scheduling so that Mary Smith has to drive 25 miles to her next visit when you could organize it so she takes a shorter path to a patient who's closer. But uh, the reimbursement models, episodic versus per diem uh, compared to the nursing homes, and then that partnering with many others in the community relative to referrals. So, I mean, we're, we're, I think the first thing any bricks and mortar you know, healthcare provider has to understand is this is not just something you plug and play. You don't just say to your staff, well, you're now going to start caring for people at home. And one of the things that stands out on the staffing side, and this is very, very important, is that you're sending someone out on their own into the field. And yes, you could have virtual connections you know, on a real-time basis, but still that nurse in someone's home is an independent you know, practitioner at that point, and you need to have a competency level that recognizes the judgments are going to need to be made, sometimes too quick to call a, a supervisor and say, what do I need to do? It's certainly distinct from going to down the hall to the nurses station in the hospital or in the nursing facility and say to a, an RN, "You know, come quick with me to see this patient. We need to do something. You need somebody who's got a high level of competence and confidence in this care that you're going to be providing, that is a special professional in doing so. So if once you start with saying it's different, that opens up the pathway to learning everything you need to know about doing it correctly. Quality of care, outcomes and all still matter, but how do you get there? You know, it may be a different approach than you might take in an institutional care setting. But most humans kind of cause problems for themselves when they start off saying, oh, I, I know that I've, I've done this kind of stuff before. And then they start following their intuition rather than recognizing they may need to be students before they are there actually delivering care. There is so much to learn uh, about what healthcare at home is all about, but it's so rewarding to do so. So best advice, eyes open, ears alert. And don't hesitate to admit you need to know more when taking action.
1: Bill, this is super helpful. At the surface, it looks like we're, we're providing care. Maybe the acuity level is different. But as you've called out that, it's different. And you know, all, the, all these sort of the sub-areas that you touched upon from scheduling, which is obviously a pretty big deal, I think the competency perspective is very different as well, the notion of visits. Um, The financials, the reimbursement, the regulatory pieces, I think that's really wise counsel for uh, many providers that will be listening in, you know, just benefiting from your thoughts there. Let's pivot a little bit, Bill, and talk about those that are already in the segment that we're talking about, right? Those that are in the community focused on home-based care. So we know that there are favorable tailwinds, right? whether it be the aging population, which Steve, you talked about, there is this general preference for aging in place. Even if you look at just the patient flow from the pre-COVID baseline, referrals to the home are up 116% from pre-COVID baseline, skilled nursing about 10 points below that. How should those providers that are traditional, maybe home care, home health, hospice, doing palliative How should they be preparing for this sort of acceleration of patients into that care setting? Who will be the winners? Who will be the losers? Would love to to understand from you, Bill, how do you see this? Well, the one
2: thing that I would be continuing to have in the front of my brain as we see this acceleration of healthcare at home is that quality and patient outcomes still matters, if not matters, more than ever. So the greatest step in preparation then you know, is in delivering those high quality services and achieving the best outcomes for the patients and being able to then present that in terms of the value of care at home, the efficiency, the efficacy of care at home, because payors like managed care plans, they don't just want to take a home health agency to deliver care. They want an effective home health agency, and they're looking for evidence to support that. But from an overall operations perspective, one thing we've been watching is the degree to which horizontal integration is occurring. And what I mean by that is the Home Health Agency also operates a hospice and a non-medical home care program and is engaged in palliative care, may do infusion therapy or pediatric private duty nursing so that it becomes essentially a a one-stop shop for its relationship with payors and with other parties to healthcare. So for referral purposes, but also for finding yourself in a network with managed care, horizontal integration seems to be very important, but not necessary though, that you have to jump and say, I need to acquire and directly have these things. The other option is a close partnering with those other parts of healthcare at home. So that that freestanding home health agency may have a place in the future but it has a better place in the future if it has ready, willing and able partners along the horizontal spectrum to deliver other healthcare services at home. The patient doesn't want to go through a constant transitioning from one company to another while in the home setting. So you you would think if you put patient first, you could see it. So the patient who leaves the hospital and is getting restorative therapy services from the home health agency and then is transitioning to a Medicaid home and community-based services program for continuing personal care supports, you know, that transition has, has a lot of costs, but a human cost even to the patient who would love to continue with somebody they think is delivering quality care. The last thing to mention you know, in, in terms of what's going on and who's going to be a winner or loser and how best to deal with such things as consolidation is workforce. You know, the greatest pressure on healthcare at home today is a workforce where the demand exceeds the supply and that's in variety of disciplines nursing personal care home care aides and the like and so a strategy for being a winner and one that helps deal with the integration and looking to partnering is taking whatever steps necessary to acquire and retain a high quality workforce one weakness in healthcare at home has been The retention rates, the turnover. So, as a business, the strategy has to include what are the best actions taken for recruitment and retention in a climate where there's not enough workers to go around. If you want to be a winner in the business overall, you got to be a winner in getting that workforce to come work for you.
1: Yeah, Bill, it's really confirming conversations that are happening. So, the horizontal diversification is great. I think, Steve, you talked about it. I'm going to pick your brain a little bit on, on from a technology perspective, what that really means. It's funny enough, Bill, I'm sure you, you also have the copy of the, the Home Care 100, the cocktail book where it features all the profiles of everyone attending. And I, maybe I, I had a lot of time. So I, I went through almost every page and I was reading about the, the questions that are asked of every individual. One is something about, I'd like to share. And the second point was about, I'd like to learn. And inevitably, the number one issue by far was around recruitment and retention of caregivers. So, you know, it just confirms, you know, everything that everyone's thinking and feeling. I think you've been able to sort of verbalize that and and really maybe just be able to frame up the point very clearly in terms of what does this really look like for those providers that are already in this space and how do they position themselves for growth and to take advantage of the opportunity that's going to present itself. Steve. I know uh, it just so happens you and I had a conversation earlier this morning. We were talking strategy, matrix care, innovation, and technology company. So when you look at technology, you see these trends that we've been talking about, providers either in community-based settings and expanding out, or they are in facilities and they're expanding out. What are some of those key technology considerations organizations should keep in mind as they explore this shift? And What does it mean in terms of technology spend? Sure. And I'm just picking up
3: on some of the things Bill talked about, because I think we focus our innovation around these two issues of, and I'm using Bill's words, acquiring and retaining a high quality workforce and quality and patient outcomes. We believe as well that providers that deliver high-quality and strong patient outcomes will win, and you need to retain a high-quality workforce. So those are the cornerstones of where we focus innovation. We think on that second point about quality and and patient outcomes, we think that risk will continue to be passed down. It's going to be two-sided risk, both clinical and financial. And we believe, Naveen, that efficient care is high quality care and efficient care enables higher workforce engagement and higher engagement is going to lead to retention of that workforce. So so we really focus on on these two things of risk and efficiency. And that's, again, at the center of how we think about the business, risk and efficiency on risk, enabling the, the providers or understanding that there's a time component, you know, in the referral, if we can get them information early, can they be informed clinically and financially about that, you know, earlier, earlier into the process, we see as opportunities, and then informing the intake, admission and care planning process. So the discharge starts before the admission at, at admission, or before the admission, and how to capture more clinical information, social determinative health information, and pass that through, drive that through the admission, care planning, and discharge process. Mm-hmm. These are things that will help manage risk, right? So you have you're informed early, you take that information and drive it through that whole care process. You embed predictive analytics. We look increasingly that our EHRs are data assets, Mm -hmm. and we want to help identify potential changes in health status that might lead to a rehospitalization or might lead to a fall with an injury or other adverse event. We think we can predict that and provide that information to the agency that will then make those caregivers more effective. So those are some points of helping to manage risk. On the efficiency side, again, we think efficient care is higher quality care. We think that the admissions process is, is, can be streamlined. We want to focus on making caregivers more efficient. Usability, great workflows. Bill talked about, about enabling as somebody moves through, moves through the care continuum, we call that warm handoffs. We want to enable warm handoffs virtually. Historically, warm handoffs have been two people touching, right, talking to each other. We think that's a labor-intensive, inefficient model. We want to enable warm handoffs virtually. And it's a great point, though, that you made. The cost to the patient, not just to the provider organization is significant as well. And then uh, a lot of focus on training and onboarding, both initially and, and going forward. So when we think about those technology considerations, so much of it is about the workforce issue. And it's interesting though, not only is the business different, but the technology demands of delivering technology in a home are higher and different than what they might be in a skilled nursing environment or assisted living precisely because of what you said, that person's out there by themselves. If there's any challenges with the technology, from you know, how do I do something to anything else? They're out there on their own. So we see that our bar for delivering technology, we have to be even better at delivering technology in this market than, than maybe what we what we saw on the facility-based side. We think things like Naveen remote monitoring
1: uh, mm-hmm.
3: is an opportunity to disconnect the collection of important patient information from an encounter with a clinician. Today, most clinical information is captured when a patient is standing in front of a clinician. I think there's opportunities to begin to break that model and capture this information on an ongoing basis and point the clinician's to risk or inform their interactions to make again, to make them more effective. Big focus on usability is another technology dimension. Yeah. Training services are a handful of things we're doing to address that workforce issue. And then beyond that, interoperability, We've been talking about this a bit, you know the agencies aren't doing it themselves uh, and you need really, really strong interoperability, data and analytics but it's a whole solution. And Naveen, we we believe there's product, technology, services, and the company. The company's gotta be stable. The company's gotta have a strong vision for the future. The agencies need to feel confident that we're gonna innovate, that we understand where the market's going. And we're not just the right partner for today, but the right partner over time. And that we are a partner, we're accessible, we're available, we're open, responsive, we're consultative, we listen. So those are culture things. And though it's partly technology, it's partly culture within an organization like Matrix Care that, that you know what I mean, I, I spend a lot of time on because I think that is the secret sauce in being responsive and delivering great solutions to those members.
1: Yes, Steve, I, I loved, you know, I know my question was more of a technology question. I loved you didn't just rattle off technologies, right? Because, you know, just framing it in terms of the implications of the trends that we've been talking about to risk and efficiency and high quality outcomes, thinking in terms of labor, and then thinking about the tech to support it, which is great, right? So we talked about remote patient monitoring, all of the usability tools, training, the richness of interoperability to make transitions easy, and then the culture that sort of undergirds all of these things in terms of forming these tr- trusted partnerships and relationships. So thank you, Steve, really, really helpful. Bill, I'm going to toss my final question to you. I know you you address in one sense the brick and mortar institutions, what they should be thinking about, and then talk to those that are already in home and community-based services, you know what they should be thinking about. As you know, there are a number of technology partners and vendors that are innovating in this space. There's, there's also sort of legislative support for whether it be for telehealth, etc. But from your vantage point, you were to speak to all of these technology players that are there, that are supporting this segment that we're talking about. What is your message to them? What would you sort of challenge them to?
2: Well, you know, I, I think it's a very promising time for the blending of technology with direct, you know, human healthcare services. It's all about value in the end. But technologies in healthcare at home have become an essential tool. I mean, absolutely essential, you know. And that's both clinical as well as operational. That is triggering a focus coming from payers, coming from regulators, in a multi-dimensional way. There is a a bit of caution in Washington today regarding, say, telehealth services, because it exploded during the pandemic in terms of the volume delivered, but it also demonstrated that it's a very important part of the toolbox in delivering healthcare in in an effective and, and efficient way. So that balance is now in the midst of trying to be struck between, you know, when do you pay for, what is it that you pay for, when is it to be used? And, and so on, and it's been a bit of a quandary for policymakers to deal with it because it's been one of those things that presents such great value, at the same time presents a bit of risk, you know, risk that, say, you might develop a telehealth mill out there that just turns out bills for services and doesn't mm-hmm. deliver anything particularly effective, but I think there is an absolute recognition, and this will be permanent, not even just a trend, that healthcare needs to support Continued advances in technologies, as I mentioned, clinical as well as operational. Even NAC labels uh, reflecting that we no longer call people vendors, we call them business partners because there's such a blend between the professional healthcare giver and and the technology and the delivery of those kinds of services. You, You mentioned interoperability. It was A few years ago, when I traveled for the first time outside of the United States to a country where people didn't speak English as the primary language, and the first thought I had at that point in time was, is this the problem with the lack of interoperability, uh, particularly in, say, home health services or other healthcare at home, with the technologies that we have today? Because I could not get anybody to even understand the word gasoline. Apparently, my pronunciation wasn't even close to the Spanish gasoline, which I still thought it was close, but I couldn't figure out where to get gas from anybody. Uh, And that interoperability in healthcare has the same consequence. You know, my car wasn't going to go any further. And from a healthcare perspective, how are you going to provide that that quality of services? So, you know, I guess I I would leave you with one thing, and, and I think matrix care is very well suited to be part of this. It does appear that from an interoperability perspective, the business partners of technology must start to take the lead in this. And maybe I'm imposing myself in that mix because I trust you guys to have the competencies that I don't have when it comes to technologies. You know, Steve mentioned culture, and, and this is a big thing as it relates to technology and the future of healthcare. We have a culture. That embraces creativity, embraces advances, and embraces the use of tools that are effective to deliver high quality care. So I think the overall culture of healthcare at home is well situated to connect in with technology to, to advance together in the delivery of services at home. You know, from a user perspective, it's gotta be the right technology for them, which brings culture into it as well. So I think when people are looking at their workforce in terms of hiring, they need to know where's that person stand on technology. And they need to know from their technology partner whether or not the cultures of that partner and they themselves are in sync because it is that kind of holding hands together, walking down that path of care to delivery of services to people who are very, very vulnerable. So I'm very bullish on the role of technology and I'm very heartened to find out that finally others are recognizing that technology plays a big part in the delivery of healthcare services. I would not hesitate to put healthcare at home from a technology standpoint, up against pretty much every other sector of healthcare. Okay. You know, the days of high touch are still there, but boy, they are absolutely mirrored to high tech as well. So again, very bullish on it and look forward to partnering with Matrix Care and asking them to help lead us towards that interoperability, which might be the holy grail.
1: Well, I think your example on interoperability was great. You talked about English and Spanish gasoline. Even with English and English, the rest of the world calls it petrol. <laughs> so <Yeah>. so, <laughs> so there's differences right there. So to your point about being able to you know, create the interoperability infrastructure, and also I think words matter, not calling vendors, but business partners. I think that's a great way to frame that as well to say that the role that we as matrix care and our peers within the organization that are crucial in providing technology to providers as this acceleration and shift is happening. And and I share the sentiment with you and I'm confident Steve shares the sentiment. We are also very bullish about what we see happening as how care is changing and as how the trends and providers and patient client expectations, all of that are transforming and we've got huge roles to play. So thank you very much, Bill. We really appreciate you taking time. And Steve, really, really also appreciate you making time for us. This is always excellent. Uh, I know how incredibly busy the two of you are. This will serve the community at large, the providers, the users, folks that are really invested in this space. So thank you again. Thank you, Naveen and Bill. Great,
2: great sharing the the time. Uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. I'm open to more of these if you are too. Same. That
0: concludes the latest episode of the Post-Acute Point of View from Matrix Care. We have a lot of guests and topics coming up that you won't want to miss. So be sure to subscribe. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, and if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, leave us a review. To learn more about Matrix Care and our solutions and services visit matrixcare.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. Be well, and we'll see you next time.